It's a question that Christian churches and denominations of all stripes would rather you didn't think about, much less ask out loud. It's a question that theologians and biblical scholars have struggled to answer for millennia, and none with any success. How is it that a man who thousands of books, billions of words, and millions of letters have been written about could himself have not written down a single word or letter? And why is there only a single church in the world that has the answer? Now, granted, it's no ordinary church. It's best known for its namesake, compiling the first Christian Bible in 144 AD. It's known for having the oldest inscription in the world bearing the name of Jesus Christ carved into its stone archway in 318 AD. It's known for growing larger than even the Roman Catholic Church at one point, and it's known for curating the original epistles and gospel of Paul the Apostle. And after today, it will also be known as the only church in the world that can tell us why Jesus never wrote down a single word or letter more about that church later. As regular listeners of the show know, I'm not one for drama or histrionics, but the theological implications of the story and the actual answer to the question are simply put, tectonic. Deconstructing the past to help you make sense of today. Time for another award-winning episode of Pre-Nicene Perspective with your host, Darren Kalama. Anyway, the crux of the story centers around an actual fact. That fact being that Jesus didn't write anything down. Now, there's a small verse that talks about him leaning down and writing something in the dirt casually as Jews were arguing around him about an adulterous woman. And I'll even go a step further and say that it's likely based on a confusion in translation that he wasn't even really writing anything in the dirt in a disinterested manner. He was probably just doodling or drawing. And by the way, the instrument used for writing at that time was called a reed pen. Basically, a reed cut and shaped in the form of a pen with the cut end dipped in ink. And the paper was pressed papyrus. An example of what I'm talking about can be found on the FBN show logo. And I'll uh, have an image of that for the uh, video uh, portion of the episode. Anyway, that's a reed pen. So not only do I agree, I'm willing to stipulate that there's no instance anywhere in the modern Bible of Jesus writing anything. Don't ask me how, but somehow these intellectual heavyweights decided that that means Jesus didn't exist because he didn't write anything down. That's the premise for their conclusion. Make of it what you will. But let's back the truck up a little bit. Jesus not writing anything down is actually pretty interesting and almost never discussed. We know he could read, we know he was teaching in the synagogues, and we know he could speak, and being the Son of God, come on, we know he could write. But for some reason he chose not to. It was a deliberate choice not to. In fact, he never told anyone else to write down what he said. He never turned to one of his apostles and said, hey, write this down. Not even when they asked him how to pray to God and he taught them the Lord's Prayer. He didn't, he didn't write it down. He didn't even tell them to write it down. In fact, he was kind of secretive about things. 
For example, when he was casting out demons, uh, they would proclaim, you're the son of God, and he would rebuke and silence them. He didn't want anyone hearing that. Sometimes after performing a miracle, he would say, go and tell no one. So here's the son of God on earth for years, known and viewed by thousands, performing miracles, raising the dead, giving and teaching people a new world-changing message of redemption, salvation, and freedom and nobody writes any of it down. Jesus doesn't write down a single word, nor is he even said to have written down a single word by anybody. But it gets worse. You're supposed to believe that the Son of God would leave it up to four people to chronicle from fuzzy memory what he said and did years after the fact, and that they somehow remembered every word and nuance, so much so that what they wrote down is called the Word of God. I have bad news. Two of those people, Mark and Luke, weren't even apostles. Luke even says he was getting his information second and third hand. In fact, Mark and Luke never even met Jesus. Did you know that? Ask any priest or pastor and they'll tell you the same thing. Now, try remembering something from a few days ago, or a week, or a month ago. Now recall and write down verbatim an entire conversation you had with a stranger 30 years ago. Now ask that stranger to recall a conversation he had with someone else 30 years ago. That's how convoluted it gets when you create stories from second and third hand information, as Luke admits to doing in the first paragraph of his Gospel. Nowhere in any Bible does Jesus tell his apostles to write anything down. Nowhere in any Bible do the apostles say, and simple logic tells us that they would say this, Lord, shouldn't we write this down, keep a record of your great miracles and teachings? Now, they've been with Jesus for years in close proximity, eating, traveling, sleeping. You don't think one of them just asked about writing something down? You really don't think the subject came up? These Jews are waving around Torahs, the written word on scrolls, waving them around every five minutes as they debated Jesus. You don't think it would cross the mind of one of the apostles even once to start writing things down or ask Jesus why he isn't writing anything down? Now, actually, I'm sure they did. I'm sure it happened, probably more than once. And just as Jesus rebuked devils for saying that he was the Son of God and silenced them, he probably also rebuked the apostles and ordered no writing, no speaking of and no writing of his power in miracles. And by the way, I have every confidence that Jesus knew his message, his written word, would be altered, edited, and perverted by the Jews and the Judaizers. He had no illusions about these Jews. These people were even trying to cut deals with Jesus as he was dying on the cross and trying to stain his memory before the body was even cold. And you wonder why he told them, where I am going you cannot follow? Why he told them, your father is the devil? Why he told them, you do not know God and God does not know you? Is this why he didn't write anything? You see, the written word can be made to do lots of tricks in the hands of a skilled dissembler or forger or liar. Imagine what the children of the supreme liar, Satan, as described in John 8:44, could do with a document alleged to have been written and signed by Jesus Christ himself.
Now imagine if Jesus had written several things about a variety of subjects. Now we have different codexes or scrolls out there. One faction of faith claiming they have the first one or the real one. Imagine the killing that would have happened over documents like that. Imagine all the forgeries and editing. Kings and emperors making changes to the words of Jesus to justify this or that policy or law. And if you questioned it, they would wave the document at you and say, How dare you question the very words of Jesus written right here? Take him away and burn him. In fact, entire industries staffed by scholars would spring up to creatively interpret what Jesus really meant when he wrote this or that. It would have been a theological and ecclesiastic chaos. How do I know? Because that's exactly what happened to the Gospels. Let that sink in and consider that within years of Jesus' resurrection, fake Gospels were flying across the known world with competing factions of Judaizers all claiming to have the real story of Jesus. Fake Gospels were the new cottage industry, and the one thing that they all had in common is that none of them were true. It got so bad that even after the Apostle Paul, who had risked his life establishing the first Christian churches, he had to send them all letters warning them about these fake Gospels and the Judaizers promoting them. Now, let's go ahead and open both the modern Nicene Bible and the first Bible and read what Paul said to them. Both are the same. Quote-unquote, I marvel that ye are so quickly changed from him that called you in the grace unto a different gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. That's from Galatians 1, 4 through 5. But maybe you were confused about what he said. Maybe you didn't understand him. Well, you know what? Paul's going to step in and help you focus. Here's what he says. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. And of course, we find that in Galatians 1.9. So we can all see it was a huge problem. Even the apostles had to get involved. And now we arrive at the most important part of the episode where we find out not only why Jesus never wrote anything down, but also, and just as importantly, which gospel Paul was talking about. And it is the answer to both questions. Now, remember, everyone agrees that Jesus didn't write anything down and he never told anyone to write anything down. Even after his resurrection, when he returned to visit the apostles, no writing. So how did he expect his message to live on after a generation or two? I mean, Oral tradition doesn't last, and the message gets changed from person to person. What happens when four people see the exact same thing and are told to describe it? Now, tell them to not only describe it, but write down exactly what was said during the encounter. Now tell them to write all this down years after it happened. See what I mean? By the time it's over, you'll be lucky if these four even agree on what country the event took place in. And Jesus, of course, knew this would happen. He knew this wouldn't be a reliable way for his message and teachings to be passed on. And here's where the brilliance, the otherworldly, sheer brilliance of what he did is revealed. Instead of writing down the story himself or telling his apostles to write it down, he was going to make his enemies write it down. These Jews, these prideful, arrogant Pharisees that argued with, slapped him around, insulted Jesus before having him crucified, 
these same ones that he called the children of Satan were going to bow down before him. They were going to reject their father Satan, and he was going to make them tell the story of his miracles. And out of all of them, he chose just one to do it. Now, it couldn't be just any random Jew. He needed a real blue flame Jew, a Pharisee with impeccable lineage and perfect credentials, a real up-and-comer, probably in line for the top Pharisee spot in Jerusalem, one that the other Jews in the inner circle look up to as the lieutenant, the capo, the enforcer. He had to be worldly and expert on their laws, down to the tiniest detail and rule a master debater and multilingual and have a reputation for fierce persecution and punishing Christians, a real Jesus hater and a great writer because lots and lots of things had been waiting to be written down. And then he just waited until the time was right. God waited until his selection had been thoroughly trained under the chief rabbi, the head Pharisee Gamaliel in Jerusalem waited until he had overseen the murder of the first Christian martyr, St. Stephen, waited until he was on his way leading an army of Pharisees and Jews to persecute more Christians in Damascus. And then God made his move, searing into this man's memory, into every fiber of his being, all of the words Jesus wanted written down, every jot and tittle, the full revelation. Not only did he instantly see that his faith, his entire life steeped in Judaism and the ways of the Pharisee had been a waste and a fraud, he instantly became a Christian. He wrote down those words given to him by Jesus and he spent the rest of his life traveling the world and establishing new Christian churches, changing the lives of millions of people with that gospel. And the name of that gospel is the gospel of the Lord. And the name of that man is Paul the Apostle. I'm Darren Kalama reminding you that if your Bible was created after 144 AD, you're reading just another book. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Pre-Nicene Perspective, and we invite you to learn more at theveryfirstbible.org.